Welcome to this week's episode of the Big Book Living Alive podcast, a weekly podcast showcasing the 1993 Big Book Seminar presented by Joe and Charlie in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. I am your host, Brad S., and I am an alcoholic. This week we get some pretty heartbreaking stories from Joe and Charlie regarding their days before they found recovery, and I think we'll be able to relate on some level to their stories in ourselves. We all have bouts of denial, we all have bouts of blaming others instead of ourselves, and we all have bouts where we look and we say, why me? And poor pity, pitiful me. Until we take a hard, honest look at ourselves and decide that it is time for a change, we can't make that change. So let's hear this week's episode of Joe and Charlie. But anyhow, I, I had this trouble. I was, I was in bad trouble, and I was serious. I, I mean, I wanted some help. So I threw a little sober spell, you know how we do, and I went to church. And I went to this preacher, and I told him, I said, I'm having lots of problems, and I, and I need some help. And so he called me into his study, and he sat me down in a chair right across from him. And he looked me right in the eye, and he said, well, what's your problem? Well, I didn't know what the problem was. So I told him the only information that I had and I told him what I thought the problem was, and it was her, you see. And if you was married to her, you'd drink too, I said. So he gave me a little prescription to follow. He told me some things that I needed to do. And he said, you must, and he emphasized that word, Southern Baptists emphasized that word, you must do these things. Well, I couldn't do those things. You know why? Because I didn't even believe them. So how can you have faith in something that you don't even believe? Thank God for the second step. Well, I went on about my business and got into a lot more trouble, got divorced again, got married again, and I got into real bad trouble. So I went to a psychiatrist, and I paid him $75 an hour. And he sat me down across the table from him, and he said, what's your problem? Well, I didn't know what the problem was. If I'd have known, I'd have told him. Believe me, I would have. So I told him what I thought the problem was, and it was her, you see. So he gave me a little prescription, too. He thought I had a volume deficiency. <laughs> so I took these volumes, and I, continue, I continued to drink, and I got into a lot more trouble. I mean, I got to where I didn't know where the difference between where my job was and where the bar was. It seemed like they got mixed up, and I got... Uh, Knowing some more, I didn't know the difference between my wife and these other women, and we got mixed up, you see. So no wonder I got into a lot of problems. So when I come to Alcoholics Anonymous, when they said that many do not comprehend that the alcoholic is a very sick person, I never dreamed that I was a sick person. I thought I was a no-good, rotten SOB, and I stood in the back of the room with my head down until I learned about the doctor's opinion and learned about the grave nature of the illness of alcoholism, until I learned about the physical allergy and the mental obsession. This information is vitally important to my sobriety, and I think many of us in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous have never heard of the doctor's opinion, really. I remember one time I was on a uh, place, a cruise ship, and uh, we had a little meeting over in Bermuda, and. And I was asked to say a few words, and I did, and I mentioned the doctor's opinion from behind the podium, which I would. And afterward, there was a fellow named Elmer. He come up to me, and boy, he was red hot. And he said, what are you reading? I said, well, I'm 
what was you quoting from? I said, well, the doctor's opinion. And he said, where did you get that information? I said, well, out of the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. And he said, where is it? I said, it was right here in the front of the book. Well, he turned around and left. Now, the next day, he comes up to me, and he's crying. I mean, really. He said, Joe, I've been a member of Alcoholics Anonymous for 39 years, and I did not know that information was in the front of that book. That's a sad story. It's a very sad story. I needed to know what the problem was. It was none of those things that I thought. It was none of those things that I thought. It was I had an illness to alcoholism. I have a physical allergy and a mental obsession, and I needed that information, and I need to know that information, and now we're going to talk some more about the doctor's opinion. Now we've come to the point where we've got to make a decision. We can take a 15-minute break, and it'll take us till about 10.15 to get through, or we can run straight through, and you just go sing and get a cup of coffee as you want it, and we'll be through about 10 o'clock. What do you want to do? How many of you are in favor of taking a break? How many of you in favor of going straight through? Okay. We'll go straight through. You, but you ruined part of my surprise. Part of my surprise was to be or say, at the end of the break, I'm going to blow my whistle, and then it'll be time to start the meeting. I'd like for you to hear my whistle anyhow. We're going to... We're going to be blowing out at the end of break periods to signify that's my train whistle. <laughs> okay. Prior to the 1930s, nobody ever understood what alcoholism is. Therefore, nobody was ever to come up with a proper solution to it. Most of the ignorance, most of the misunderstandings about alcoholism was really brought about by people who were non-alcoholic. Those people that could drink safely or that did not drink at all, they are the ones that developed the original ideas about alcoholism. They would look at the alcoholic and say, what's wrong with that guy? He must be weak-willed. Or they may say, maybe it's just bad moral character or they most certainly said it's sin. All of those things came from non-alcoholics, not the alcoholic. We assume the alcoholic really didn't care. He probably just kept right on drinking, didn't pay attention to him anyhow. But we've had alcoholism amongst us as far back as the human race can remember. And there's always been people talking about it. You know, one of the oldest sources of material that we have happens to be the Bible. And you'll find references in the Bible to the one who drinks too much quite often. One that we always like to go back and look at is in Proverbs. Proverbs by, was written by a fellow named Solomon. And everybody knows Solomon and how wise Solomon was. Everybody that had a problem came to Solomon in those days to solve it. We call him the first social worker that we really had. <laughs> he was great at solving people's problems. And apparently somebody asked him one time about the alcoholic. Let me read to you what Solomon had to say about it. He said, Who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babbling, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes, they that tarry long at the wine. Everybody in those days was a wino, that, before the hard stuff. 
He said, Look not upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in its cup, when it moveth itself aright. He said, Because at the last it will biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. And he said, Thine eyes shall behold strange women. He surely knew some of us fellows quite good. <laughs> and he said, And thine heart shall utter perverse things. Like, trust me, honey. <laughs> He said, Yea, thou shalt be as one that lieth down in the midst of a sea. Remember how that bed used to sway around when you lay down? Or that sleepeth upon the top of a tall mast, the mast swaying back and forth. He said, You shall say they have beaten me, but I felt it not. And he said, Yet when they awake, they will seek it yet again. Perfect description of alcoholism. The same then as it is today. We really haven't changed that much. Now, from Solomon's time up until the 1930s, many, many people tried to define alcoholism. There was a doctor in England named Dr. Trotter, and he was one of the first a long time ago to say, I believe that alcoholism is an illness. But that's all he could ever do with it. He never could describe what it is. He never could come up with an answer for it, but he began to say, he was one of the first to begin to say, I really believe it's an illness rather than willpower, moral character, and sin, and etc. There was another doctor, Dr. Benjamin Rush, who happened to be one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. And he said, I believe that alcoholism is an illness. And he said, the only relief we have to offer is no drinking period. He began to see that every time the alcoholic took a drink, something happened to them that would not happen if they didn't take the drink. But he never could really explain why that was true. And over a period of years, many people have tried to find this answer. It's only in the 1930s when Dr. Silkworth came along that we really begin to see what the problem really is. It always intrigues me to realize that Dr. Silkworth went to work in the town's hospital in 1930 not because he wanted to work with alcoholics. Most doctors don't go to medical school to learn how to work with alcoholics. Most doctors don't like to work with us. You know, they say we won't do what they tell us to do, and that's certainly true. They say we'll lie to them, and that's certainly true. They say the real reason we don't want to work with them is they won't pay their bills, and that's true in most <laughs> cases, too. Dr. Silkworth went to work at the town's hospital in 1930 because he had lost everything he had in the 1929 stock market crash, and he had to have a job. And he went to work for Charlie Towns in the town's hospital, $40 a week, room and board. While there, working with alcoholics, he became interested in us. We would go into the town's hospital... He would withdraw us from alcohol. They would give us the proper food, the proper medication, the proper help to get our health back and get us in pretty good shape. Three, four, five, six weeks later, we would leave the hospital, and the next time Dr. Silkworth would see us is we'd be coming back in there drunk again. And he saw literally thousands of us repeat this process over and over and over and over. And he began to say, I believe there's something different about the alcoholic than there is in normal drinkers 
whenever they drink alcohol and put it in their system. He said, I believe that the alcoholic reacts entirely differently than normal people do. And this power that is produced in the body by alcohol itself produces a physical craving which is so powerful that the alcoholic cannot stop after he once starts. And he said, this is abnormal. And I'm going to say that the alcoholic has become physically allergic to alcohol. And he said, I know that really isn't the proper word to use to describe it, but it's the best I could do at the present time. He said, also, I believe the alcoholic reacts differently to alcohol mentally than the normal person does. That when the alcoholic takes a drink, it produces a feeling in the mind that is entirely different than that in the normal person. And that feeling in the mind is so important to the alcoholic that from time to time, even though they don't want to drink, they'll start thinking about that great feeling that comes from the first couple of drinks, and their mind will convince them it's okay to have a couple of drinks. And he said that their memory in the mind is so powerful that it overcomes all ideas to the contrary, and the alcoholic will take a drink knowing full well it's going to be okay, and then after they take the drink, that triggers the allergy and they can't stop. He said, because of the power produced in the body by alcohol, and because of the power of the obsession of the mind, the alcoholic has become absolutely powerless over alcohol, and they have a hopeless condition of the mind and of the body. He is the one that described that to Bill Wilson. And Bill, for the first time, understood what his problem really was. Because Bill, like everybody else, had tried and tried and tried and tried desperately to find a way to drink without getting drunk, and every time he took a drink, it triggered this thing in his body, and he couldn't stop drinking. And Bill said, my God, that's what's been wrong with me for years. Bill had been trying to quit drinking for years. And every time he'd quit and swear off, after a while his mind would play the trick and tell him it's okay to drink, and he'd end up. Bill said, my God, that's what's been going on in my head for years. That was the first thing that ever made sense to Bill Wilson. And he took it to Bob, and Bob said, my God, that's what's wrong with me. Everybody else had tried to tell Bob what his problem was. Bill, through sharing his own story with Bob, showed Bob his physical allergy and his obsession of the mind. They took that to Bill Dotson. And Dotson said, my God, no wonder I can't stay sober. That's what's wrong with me. And they took it to the first 100, and then they gave it to us. Now, they valued this information from the doctor so much, they said, Doctor, we want you to write for us a description of alcoholism. Because that's what we're going to have to recover from. But first, we've got to tell them what it is. And we need you to do this for us. Will you do this? And Dr. Silkworth said, yes, I'll be glad to do that under one condition. He said, now, I, I can't prove what I'm going to say. And in the medical field, we don't state a fact unless we can prove it. He said, what I want you to do is let me call it the doctor's opinion. Not the great thing I found, not the great facts, but just the doctor's opinion. That had to be quite gutsy for its time, being willing to go out on a limb write an opinion about a thought process he couldn't prove. Now that's daring. And it's also probably why Dr. Silkworth did not want to have his name associated to the doctor's opinion in the first revision. But we are fortunate that after his opinion became more widely accepted, 
that it is now in the preface of all of the versions of the big book. So, did you catch the whistle about five and five and a half minutes in? That must have been great fun. I thought that was a great break. I didn't want to cut that piece out. I thought we'd enjoy that. And the story from Proverbs is quite telling. I've mentioned before in my shares that I knew this problem went back a ways, but I didn't know it went all the way back to olden times like that. So I learned something new tonight. The stories we tell, the experiences we share, part of how we get better and recover from alcoholism by sharing our personal experience, strength, and hope. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode as much as I did. If you'd like just the raw Joe and Charlie portion of the podcast, that is available on our Patreon site. The link to that is available on our website or in the pinned comment. Until next week, this is the Big Book Living Alive Joe and Charlie podcast.